to Psalm 23. I'm sure it's a psalm we all know very well. And we've just got to read it all because I'm sure it's only six verses. We'll just read through the psalm together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks, honour and praise, Lord, even for your spirit that has been present in the midst of us this morning. What a faithful saviour, what an almighty God that we have, we serve. Jesus, this morning, Lord, I come and my frailties, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you hide me behind the cross, so to speak. Lord, that they don't see me, but see you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would give me words to speak. Lord, even guide my hands, Lord, through the scriptures that you want me to say. Heavenly Father, Lord, if there is anything of me, Lord, take it away. Take it from my mind. Lord, let your spirit just course through this meeting, Lord. Lord, shut us in with your beautiful self and let your word have its way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Psalm 23, unfortunately, is one of the psalms that's always seemed to be rolled out at funerals. It's read out and it's a beautiful psalm, but when you actually get into it, it's not a psalm about death at all. It's actually a psalm about life. And it's beautiful because I often think that this psalm would have had a special place in the heart of the psalmist that wrote it. I could imagine, maybe this is my imagination running wild, but I could imagine King David, as he sat down to write this psalm, the memories just flooding back to him 
as the shepherd boy on the grassy hillsides and all the things that would have happened but how the Lord was with him every step of the way and I noticed something else that even before this psalm if you went over into Psalm 22 and you read through Psalm 22 it amazes me how it's so descriptive of the crucifixion It speaks of how his hands were pierced and his feet were pierced. And that style of crucifixion in that time when it was written didn't take place. They didn't do it like that. But yet it's a perfect description of our Lord's crucifixion of what the Romans would have done. And it amazes me how... The first line of this says, the Lord is my shepherd, but you can never claim the Lord to be your shepherd without first coming through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by his blood and the shedding of blood that we can only ever say the Lord is truly our shepherd. There has to be an acceptance there. There has to be a yielding there. And you know, I hear so many times and it grieves me deeply. There are so many ways to God. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. It's not Allah. It's not Confucius. It's not any of them. There is one way. Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood on the cross. You have to accept him as saviour. Have to. So in this psalm, we get told, we are the sheep. To be honest with you, sheep aren't the brightest of animals. (laughs) But we're all in the same boat. (laughs) We are the sheep. They are completely dependent on the shepherd. Everything, for everything, they are dependent on the shepherd. But even when we look at this, he is mine. The Lord is mine. That's personal. He's a personal saviour. And we forget that sometimes. He's personal to each and every one of us. You see, how he would deal with me is completely different to how he would deal with you. Because you know what? He knows us intimately. And that's why David said, he's mine. He knows me. He knows what drives me up the wall. You know, he knows what calms me. He knows everything about me. He knows me. He knows the hair on your head. And it's beautiful because there is that, because he is so personal to each and every one of us. We've heard it so many times. He will leave the flock to go after one that's gone astray. And it is so true. Our blessed Saviour is glorious indeed and he loves us so much. And you see, sheep out of all, if you like, all the other sort of animals, they actually need the most attention. Sheep, I started to look in so much 
to do with sheep and to do with shepherd. And, and this may sound quite strange because I, I was brought up in the city, like. So, <laughs> honestly, you know, when people say, you know, <clears throat> you stand up to speak somewhere and somebody may throw tomatoes at you, I thought they'd still be in the tins, you know what I mean? That's how much of a city boy I was. So, trust me, like, <clears throat> I had to do a lot of digging here to know about sheep. So, please forgive me if I've got a few things wrong here. But, uh, no, I was looking at what the shepherd used to do. And you have a look at this, and the first thing is the provider. He provided for the flock. In Psalm 37 and 25, it says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. You see, the Lord is our provider. He will provide for our needs. He will be there and we can be assured that only our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs. He is the only provider. He is our provider. And I want you to have a look at the second verse. It says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now these green pastures... Now, if something about Palestine or the area of Palestine, uh, especially where he's talking about, there actually wasn't a great deal of green pastures. So what would have happened was the shepherd would have had to get the sheep into an area and he would have had to go to a different area and he would have to start to then dig out big massive ruts across to divert water from the river. So they would start to flood these plains. And so they would start to have green pastures. So they would start to grow. You see, we have this idea of a shepherd that's just sitting on there, maybe chewing a wee stalk or something, just not really doing a lot, you know, don't we? But you see the shepherd, boy, he had some responsibility to try and keep these sheep alive. So that's what he would have to do. He would have to try and get that. He would have to try and get everything in place. Because another thing with sheep is that they don't rest easy. In fact, sheep are one of the most nervous animals you will ever come across. And it takes a lot for them to rest. They're always worrying about something. Does that, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all with that one then, yeah. They're always worrying about something. So everything has to be perfect for them sheep to rest. Everything. But you see, when we start to worry, in fact, the Greek, when you look at like uh, somebody who's, who's, who worries, it's on about somebody, it gives the idea of being double-minded, believe it or not. And we, we know that it says a double-minded man is unstable in all these ways. In other words, he's saying, if you are so worried about something... You'll be constantly running to and throw, and you'll exhaust yourself to where there's no peace. But this is the one, this is where the Lord comes in. Because we have to know, there's that verse that says um, that the Lord will keep us. And he, when it means he's got to keep us, it means that we can entrust him with everything. Because a perfect love casteth out all fear. That's what it means. 
When we know the love of Christ, when we know him, when we know that perfect love, that he died on the cross for you. Why would he deny you anything? He's got to provide for you. He's got to be there for you. So you don't need to worry. We already know that the Lord is in our tomorrows because he tells us that. And you notice in the second verse it says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now why does it say that? Well, there's a simple reason to this. Sheep can't swim. They can't swim. And sheep won't even drink from, from running water. <clears throat> so what needs to happen was, the shepherd would have to actually go down into the river and he would have to collect some huge stones and he would actually have to dam the river up for them to come down and to drink because otherwise they wouldn't drink. So it's amazing when you start to see the work that goes into this. And even when you see, it says, he leadeth me. Now, you may see in modern times now, you see, as I've done many times when you're driving down a country road and you just start seeing all these sheep bolting by and the farmers shouting and everything else, they're all flying past you and everything. Well, my dad actually told me years ago, he was, um, he was in the army and he, he, he served on the, uh, on the Yemen border. He actually served in Aden there in the 60s. And he said he remembers seeing these shepherds out in the middle of nowhere. But he said it was amazing. Because they used to call or make a call and they would actually walk along and you would just start to see the sheep following them. He said it was amazing how they used to do that. Because when you start to get into things like that, you start to see why that they would do that in a very different way. They would respond to the shepherd's voice and they would start to follow it because you see wherever the shepherd had to leave, there was always danger. Anywhere else wouldn't be in near the shepherd. So they had to be led by the voice. And even in John 10 and 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So it's amazing to, to start to see how the Lord starts to, to use this analogy, even through David as he's bringing this psalm out. And remember something, we need to be led by the word we have to be the word of God has to be the very pinnacle of a Christian's walk because everything that we do we have to line it up with the word it doesn't matter whether it's the spiritual gifts that move whether it's our conduct for life everything has to come into line with the word because if it doesn't then I'm sorry it's not right. Even in Psalm 119 and verse 105, it says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, people will have, I've seen it before in America and that, some people, have, they have these massive conferences. And I mean, <clears throat> I think there was one went on for about three days. And it was all about the will of God. For your life. And I always remember there was a, a, a preacher called Lester Summerall. And there was a young man 
he was going into the ministry and he came racing into his office one time and he, he said, uh, I need to know the will of God for my life and then I need to know what to do. And he says, okay, son. He says, sit down. And this young man looked at him and he says, have you got to pray about it? I said, I don't need to. And he was there ready with his notepad and pen, ready to take all this information down. And he turned around and he said, the will of God. Right. <clears throat> he says, if you want to know the will of God, Read the word. If you want to do the will of God, do the word. Close your door on the way out. That was was that. And you know what? It's so true. It is so true. We make things so complicated. And yet when we do all we have to do, we have everything in this book. Whatever we want to know is in right here. But the thing is, and this is the hardest thing, we can read it. But the difference is getting revelation of it. Now that's something different. I have read this book. I remember my father-in-law said to me, he says, son, I have read this book 40 years. Over and over and over again. And he says, and yet there's still things that are coming to me that like I've never seen it before. And that's what it is. We can read it or we can ask the Lord for revelation of it. And that's what the church needs, a revelation of the word of God. Desperately. Desperately. <clears throat> Go down to verse 3. He restoreth my soul. It's beautiful, isn't it? He restoreth my soul. And the word restore there is shuv. <clears throat> and it means to turn back to, to refresh or to repair. My soul is a word called nefesh, and it literally means to breathe life into, or an emotion, or a passion. That's what it means. But he's the one who brings life to us. He's the one that when you are feeling completely hopeless, he will restore that passion, that emotion, that fire for him. He truly is the restorer of the soul. I want you to have a quick look at Psalm 42 for me, please. I want to show you something. It would just give you an idea of restoration. Psalm Psalm 42 and verse 11. Listen to what David writes in this psalm. It says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquiet within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Now you'll notice something in that verse. There is the word cast down, or the word cast. And it's actually an old English word. And to, me, and to be cast actually gives the idea of a sheep that is flat on its back. Because when a sheep is flat on its back, it means it's cast, but it can't get up. It can't ride itself. So the shepherd would have to come along. But there was something that I didn't know, and they did this a lot in Palestine. And when you start getting into this, 
psalm is that the shepherd, when he was sitting and supposedly resting, would start to look at the sky over the sheep. And he would be concentrating on the sky. And what he would be looking for was birds. And if he started to see the birds start to circle, then he knew they were the vultures and that one of his sheep was in trouble. And it was in case they'd been cast. Because if the vultures saw it, then they'd start to circle because they wait for it to die. Because they know full well it wouldn't be able to get back on its feet. So he would start to look and he would see this and then the next thing he would go, go and get the sheep. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because the Lord always knows the signs. He always knows them times when we just can't. We can't do it anymore. <laughs> you know what? If I, had a, if I had a pound for every time I said, Lord, I've had enough, this is it. I'm finished. You know what? I'd be richer than Bill Gates. That's the truth. But you know what? The Lord always knows. And that's when he draws near. So he looked for them signs. So when we look at verse 3, go back to Psalm 23. And here it says, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. He will lead us in righteousness. Now notice the direction. He will lead you. You see, if sheep are always left to their own devices, then they go everywhere. They always get lost. They fall into ditches. They even have, have, have a habit of keep walking up and down the same places so they cause massive ruts and destroy the field. So the, the shepherd is constantly having to lead them from pasture to pasture so they don't destroy the one that they have. And that is exactly the same with our Lord. He has to lead us. You notice something even in the Lord's Prayer, it says... He doesn't lead us into temptation. But what he does is he makes a way out of it for us. And that's exactly the same with us. We have to be led by the word and by what the Lord says. Because I tell you why, he knows what's best. Whether we like it or not, the world can be very tempting at times. You know, we look at the things of the world and think they're great. But I'm telling you something, the Lord knows the very start In the end, he sees it all. And everything that he's laid out for us is for our good. So when we're on these paths of righteousness, it doesn't matter what, um, you know, we have these church doctrines sometimes. We have, uh, and every church has got them. But what we have to remain and remember is the truth of his word. I mean, there's so many times, you know, I get people and they turn around and say, well, you know what? They preach that the gifts of the Spirit are not for the day. Right, okay, fair enough. Then what does the Word say? You know, because it's been preached so long and it's been passed down, then they say, well, you know, this is what such and such says. Or is that the case? Well, you know what, then, you know, you may as well just say, turn around to Paul and say, you know what, Paul, there was no point in you lift, listing the gifts of the Spirit then. Because they're not for us. 
It's like when people would say, like, you know, the book of Revelation, well, you know, that, that's not really for us to understand. Is that right? Then why is it there? Why is it there? If it wasn't for us to understand, then it shouldn't be there. And it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. If they laid them out, if Paul took the time to lay them out and say, desire these gifts or desire them gifts, why would he do that? Why would he even say, desire them? You see, there's no point unless we stick to the word. And that is the problem with the church now. They've strayed that far away and then they get some preacher and he comes up into the pulpit and say, you know what, he preached a decent sermon and he said this. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what I say. Does it line up with the word of God? That's it. That's it. That's how he leads us. And you notice something as well. Brother and sister, whether we like it or not, just as the sheep was led from pasture to pasture by the shepherd, there is something we have to do in our life, and it is one of the most hardest things to do, is to keep moving forward with Christ. Keep moving forward with the Lord. Keep striving and not to give up. The worst thing you can do is say, well, you know what, I've got to this point. I'm just, I'm just going to rest a while. Because let me tell you, you see when you get to a point and think, I'm just going to take a step back. Brother, sister, it is never a step back. It is a huge step back. Always is. Always is. We all get tired. We all get weary. We all think, well, you know what? We just, we're struggling to go on here. Keep pushing forward in Christ. Because you get breakthrough. Because you see when you get... When you get to a point, and I've noticed this so many times in my life. You see, if you stop when something happens in your life and just think, look, I've got to take a step back here. You see, if you do that, you will find that situation keep reoccurring and reoccurring again. And you have to say, no, enough's enough. No matter what happens, this is going to happen. I'm going to go on with the Lord. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep pushing on to you. Because there's nothing else in life. You can walk away. You can go into the world. You know what? There's pleasures for a season. But let me tell you, that season ends very quickly. And then reality kicks in. Reality kicks in. Because you know what? We don't live forever. And should the Lord tarry, then we'll all go the same way. Reality kicks in. Let the Lord lead you. Verse 4. Yea, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice that. Who's been through a few valleys? There we go. Only a few, the rest are liars. There we go, anyway. (laughs) But it's true. The valleys. They're the hardest things to go through. And this is where the shepherd would call onto the sheep and they would start to walk through and he would start to guide them through the valleys. And the valleys was when the shepherd always stuck so close to the sheep. Any other time he may draw back for a while and he would sit and like I said he would look at the sky and even the odd time he would take rest for himself because he had to. But the valley was different. This wouldn't happen. The shepherd was always drawn very close 
to the sheep because it was a dangerous place. This is where you would get the ambush predators, the lions, the bears, and everything else would start to try and come to take the sheep. And I want you to look at, it says, yea, though I walk. And this is actually a Hebrew word. And it is yalak. And it actually gives the idea of a confident stride. In other words, it gives the idea of somebody who knows where they are going. That's what it gives the idea of. And even though we look at this and say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, people actually seem to think, well, this is quite a gloomy sort of verse. It doesn't actually give that idea. It means somebody that's confident, somebody that has a victory and that is striding forward in victory. That's what it gives the idea of. Somebody who's walking in confidence. And you notice something as well. It says the shadow. A shadow never hurts anybody. It can never harm anybody. So, and another thing is, when you look at this verse, when you, it says through the shadow of death, when you look at it, you only ever have a shadow when you're walking towards light. So you're walking towards light. You see, the Lord is always there. You know that even in the worst times, You can walk in a confidence and a victory because the Lord's with you. That shepherd is there. You know that you can have a confident stride. And even if it is, comes to death, you still know where you're going because the Lord's with you. Isn't it amazing when you start to look at it? And notice what else it says in this verse. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Exactly what we've just been talking about. Christ is never, never far away from us. And let's face it, even through the worst valley, the worst valley that we're going to face in this earth, that is nothing, brother. That'll be nothing, sister, compared to the glories of the kingdom. Sometimes I think we take our focus off the Lord and we looked far too much towards this life you know some days when I look at people and I think if they don't know the Lord you know what the very best day they have on this earth that's it that is it that's all they're going to have and yet you know when we think about it the very best day on this earth is going to be nothing compared to what it's like in glory absolutely nothing to be with the Lord, and when the Lord comes back. Now notice when we get to the, the end of the verse, it says, the rod and the staff. It says, it says, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. So what does the rod symbolise? Well, the rod was for protection. It was an extension of the arm almost. And he would always have it with him, the shepherd. It would be more like a club. It would have had an extremely heavy end to it. And if there was anything, he would be eating or whether he'd be resting or even sleeping, the club would always be there. Because in case there was a predator, maybe snakes or anything like that, he would need it in a split second. And again, this symbolizes the word of God, the rod. 
You notice something else as well with a rod. They used to have maybe uh, engrave little pictorial pictures onto this rod. Moses would have done the same thing. Aaron would have done the same thing. And these little pictorial pictures, what they would have done, would have, they would have symbolised different times in their life when the Lord would have done something miraculous. It was like milestones in their life. And they would have had this rod in their hand and the odd time they would have felt and they would have felt the engravings on that. And they would have looked and think, I remember when the Lord delivered me from here. I remember when the Lord did this for me. And I remember when the Lord did that for me. So that's why it was such a comfort to them. But you notice this when it says about the rod. Listen to this in Isaiah 11 and 4. It says, but the righteous shall he, but with righteousness sorry, shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So you see the rod of his mouth. You see God's rod. And he used this to great effect when he was in the wilderness. When the devil tempt him, tempted him, he said, it is written. It was the word that was quoted. It was the word. So you know that with the word and that the word that moves through us. And remember, the word was Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ dwells within us. Then we have the authority. And we have that power within us. To overcome the enemies. To remember that. And then the staff. This was a slender stick. More slender than the rod would have been. But it would have had a hook or a crook at one end. And the staff actually symbolises the Holy Spirit. The staff would have been used. Maybe if there was a newborn baby and, and, and the sheep. Maybe would have... Have, have rejected the baby. What the shepherd would have done was use this crook to lift up the lamb. And he would have took it over to the mother to place it next to her so he wouldn't touch it. So she would reject it anymore. But he would go over and he would place it right next to her. And he would keep an eye on it until they started to develop relationship again. And this is what he would have used the staff for, he would also use the staff every now and again when they were going up the side of the valleys and everything else. He would have used that staff to gently nudge the sheep into the right way that they're meant to go. And it's just the same with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is always there. It convicts us, but it brings us into relationship as well with our Lord Jesus Christ. It moves upon us beautifully. The Spirit will lead us into all truth. So the Scriptures tell us. So if you let your eye run down to verse 5. It says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Now this is the one that always got me. How do you apply this to a shepherd and sheep? Prepare us a table before me in the, the presence of my enemies. I always thought, you know, like, you're not going to get sheep sat around a table. But I actually started to look at this. And you see when you get into where the areas of Palestine are, 
and they would have led them through the valleys like I just said and you would have had all the wild animals and the, 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 the shepherd would have stayed very close to them and then he would have led them up wee narrow paths. And it's amazing what you find out. Well, there would have been mass grassy plains upon the top of the mountains or near the mountain tops. There were massive plains. And shepherds many times used to take them up there through the valleys onto these plains. And these plains were actually called a Spanish word. They were called mesas. So these plains were called mesas. Do you know what mesas mean? Table. That's what it means. So the shepherd would have to go up there and he would go on top of this mesa, or the table, as it was called, and he would go round and he would start to uproot all the things that were poisonous for the sheep. That's the first thing he did. Then he would lay traps and then he would clear out any predators that were up there. And then he would lead the sheep up to graze up there. So isn't it amazing? Even when the sheep are at rest and they're just having something to eat, the shepherd's still fighting for them. Even when you see the shepherd and he's pulling up all these, all these things that are poisonous for us, has not the shepherd done that already with sin? The very poison in our bodies was sin and our good shepherd uprooted it all for us. And you notice, it says, Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. The next thing he would have done, especially up in these, these mountainous areas, would he'd have got the sheep and the head, and he'd have inspected it closely. Because at this sort of time of year, it would have been what the call the shepherds would have called fly time. And what would have happened was, many a times, that the, the fly could have either gone into the ears or into the nostrils and would have laid eggs and it would have drove the sheep mad. So he would inspect to make sure that there was nothing there. And then what he would have done with olive oil and, and cedar tar, he would have anointed or he would have poured it over the sheep's head and rubbed it in to the ears and to the nostrils. And this would have prevented the flies from going there, from laying eggs in there. And he would have poured this into the wombs of the sheep and he would have looked after them with such a care. And this cup, he always had what would have had a big two-handled cup with him. It had been tied around his waist somewhere. And what he would have done would have gone over to, to some of the, uh, where the, where the water would have come down through the mountains. And he would have gone and he would have got them drink after their travel. After where they'd come from. So we can see that the Lord is merciful to us. Even in uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because of his compassions failed not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't it amazing when we see what the Lord does for us? It's fantastic. And then in verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that amazing? And we can see even there, and it's only really been a brief summary, but we can see the very lengths that the shepherd went to to keep the sheep safe. Everything he had to do for them, all that care to keep them safe. And there's something about it 
that we are never, never alone. And it gives me great comfort, to be honest with you, when I looked into this psalm to look through it and think, Lord, you know, you do so much for me. And I don't even realise it. Even the things that I haven't got a clue about, you've already been there. You've already gone before me. You've already done something that I don't even know about. And it's amazing. But there is one thing that we have to do, brother and sister. We have to follow. We have to follow him. We can't just go our own way because it's never going to work. And there's something else as well. You see now the shepherd is completely, completely gave himself for the sheep. And we have to remember, you see the predators that were in the valleys and everything else, they've all been defeated because of our great shepherd, because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's defeated every single one of them. And you think about it. You see when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, the devil was at his very zenith of his power. He was at his most powerful there ever was. The Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and completely crippled them. In his, re- in his death and in his resurrection. So he completely crippled him, completely defeated him. And then Jesus Christ sent his spirit, the comforter. He says, you will not be orphans. And he sent the spirit of God and he placed it in a man and he placed it in a woman. And what do you think we face now? We face a defeated foe. We are in complete victory because of the shepherd. And I want you to see something else. And this is even before the cross. You know, I was looking at the, uh, when, when the Lord had the, um, had the five loaves and the two fishes. And the disciples said to him, Lord, this is all there is. And he went and blessed it. But notice something. He broke it up and he gave it to the disciples. Where did the miracle happen? The miracle happened when the disciples started to give it out. It was in the hands of the disciples. They followed Jesus, they did what he said, and then the miracles started to happen. The move of the Spirit starts to happen. Brother and sister, how important is it for us to follow? To do what Jesus says, but we're always saying, Lord, Lord, do a new thing, Lord, do a new thing. You know what? The Lord's done something marvellous. He's done something marvellous. He's made you an heir. He's made me an heir. He's made us overcomers. He's defeated every predator that's gone. Because of the cross, because of the shed blood. And now we get to walk in victory every day of our lives because of Christ and what he's done. Because we are overcomers. We're the ones that can go forth and say, Lord, I claim your promises in this book because you've done it all. All I've got to do is follow. All I've got to do is follow. And this is what the church really needs to get a grip on. We're just following Christ. He's done something amazing. He has done everything that we need. And all we've got to do is walk in it and say, Lord, no. You know what? Maybe I don't see these things right now, but you know what? It's not what I see. It's what your word says. And I'm going to continue to walk in that until I see it. I'm going to continue to walk in it until the church starts looking like it should do. I'm going to continue to walk in it. And tell them things that I know you can do, Lord. 
start to happen. That's the difference. That's the difference.